Welcome to the Hanging Banners Podcast with your host, Tyler Witt. Jack Coachman. And here he is, having the time of his life. And Ryan Sartori. Maybe short, but he's thick. <laughs> that's, that's thick with two C's. Oh, it's that time of week again. Hanging Banners is back. This is episode 12. Ryan Sartori with you today. Tyler Witt with you today. And our dear friend Jack Coachman is still on the COVID IR. So he... Well, he's TBD. He's out indefinitely, but Tyler's here. And Tyler, how you doing, my man? I'm good. I'm a, I'm a little hoarse, um, and we'll get into that later in the show, but definitely feeling the repercussions of my weekend. And Well, you look like a big horse to me. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Preferably Clydesdale. Yep. Oh, my God. You're, you're definitely a Clydesdale, a thoroughbred Clydesdale at that. Um, so check it out. We've got a lot coming your way today. We've got count your wins. We've got intercepted at the goal line. And really, we have the uh, the intersection of a couple of different sports here, especially early on in the show. We've got football to talk about, baseball to talk about. We're going to talk about basketball, though it'll be obscure, the, the, the topic that we will talk about. All of it's coming up here early on in the show. So let's jump right into it. We'll start with count your wins. And Tyler... I'll start here because I'm pretty pumped. The stove is hot. The MLB hot stove is heating up as of today, like literally within the past, I don't know, six hours or so um, MLB teams have been going off, just spending money left and right. So you start the day and you look at Max Scherzer. I'm sorry. The guy joining Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, getting signed by the New York Mets for two years, $84 million. Essentially, he's going to be getting paid, uh, or maybe it was 86. Either way, he's getting paid somewhere over $40 million a year at the age of 36 after coming off an AL Cy Young. They're just going to shell out some money for him to fill the hole for the guy who just left for a Rangers position. Uh, Jacob deGrom, possibly the best modern-day pitcher, is going to the Rangers on a $185 million contract. All of this is shocking, but none of it compares to what we just got maybe three hours ago, which was Trey Turner, the best shortstop on the market, one of the best in the game, is headed to Philly. The Philadelphia Phillies made it to the World Series. They already have a a very full ledger of of player contracts and they're signing Trey Turner to an 11 year 300 million dollar deal which is a bargain when when you consider that the average annual salary of this contract Tyler is only 27 million dollars you're talking about a true five tool player that you're paying through the prime years of his career just 27 million dollars I love baseball at this at this time because it's like every team just broke an ATM machine and it's just shit and money everywhere. It's just obscene contracts. But, but like you said, the Trey Turner contract I saw uh, as I was driving home from the gym today. And like you said, what a steal for uh, Philly. Um, Hopefully they can run it back this year with his help. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, when you talk about MLB and, and why it's so much fun during their, free agency period it's it's because they're the last big league in america anyway that has no salary cap 
So there's no limit to the spending that a team can do in any specific offseason. They can do whatever they'd like. There are penalties in place. There's a luxury tax threshold. If you're above that, there's certain penalties. But for the most part, I mean, you can do whatever the hell you want. And so you'll see these crazy big contracts. Like I, uh, Mike Trout's was something like 10, 13 years, somewhere in that range for $450 million or something like that. It's about as close as you can get to European soccer contracts, like professional soccer contracts, like what we just saw with Cristiano Ronaldo, where I think he's signing for something like $211 million per year with some Saudi Arabian team. Um, it's, it's really the last frontier for that in America because there is no uh, salary cap. So I, I love this time of year too. I love seeing the, um, the uh, 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 Jersey swaps that people will do the bad ones and the good ones. It's very, very exciting time. Like you said, I mean, you could wake up one day and then a team just decided, you know what? I'm going to spend a shit ton of money today and just change the course of the team for, for the next five, five, 10 years. Sure. No, it, it, that's, that's exactly it. Uh, or yeah, you said like five to 10 years, like you could be changing the next decade of your team's career. Um, the shortstop market now I think is going to be relatively interesting because you have Turner signing for $27 million. That's going to dramatically impact the amount of money players like Dansby Swanson and Alexander Bogarts, like the money that they get is going to be impacted. I don't know how impacted Carlos Correa will be in this market, but I mean, they were hoping whoever signed first in this huge group of, of, of shortstops, they were hoping whoever signed first was going to get paid like 35 mil a year because that opens up their kind of leveraging and like, hey, if he's making this, I need to make that. Turner signs for a bargain deal to go play with Bryce Harper again, and, and now it kind of resets things a little bit. So I, I'm very excited. I think over the next seven days, we're going to see – a lot of movement. The winter meetings are happening right now in San Diego. And this is typically where GMs go in and start wheeling and dealing and making trades and stuff like that. This is where, this is where business happens, right? Like your typical fortune 500 companies, business happens on the golf course and <laughs> baseball business happens at the winter meetings, this five day stretch where everybody's just kind of having like a hero gasm, uh, so to speak at uh, a baseball gasm at the, the winter meetings. So um, with that, let's move forward because uh, you need to explain exactly why you're so hoarse. I've noticed it. You, I, you may be even short-winded this week, but uh, but why are you so hoarse? So I got uh, a ticket to go to the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, one of my friends on the team, Austin Burton, he was able to scrape together one extra ticket for me, and I got some pretty damn good seats to to watch the big 10 championship in Indianapolis. And I cheered my, my heart out. Our section was by far the loudest section in the stadium. We definitely had an impact on this game. Um, I don't want to take credit for anything, but you know, that interception that that's on us, that that was all us that has nothing to do with a bad read or anything. We rattled them. We rattled JJ. Let's talk about, yeah, we could talk about it here. Let's talk about the game for a second because I, I don't want to get too deep into it because I know that you have some things that you want to talk about. But for the most part, considering what Michigan is this year and where Purdue is, this was a pretty good game. 
I, I'm poking a bear here, but like it was a better loss than Ohio State. So I I would say that Purdue's better than Ohio State. Um oh, I like it. I like it. Ballsy. Um, I mean, it was a better it was a better loss if there's a such thing as a better loss. Um and at the end of the game, and I'll get into it later, my my feelings about the end of the game. Um, we gave them a couple touchdowns at the end of the game. So uh I think it, it would have been a lot closer had that not happened. Um but I mean, and going into halftime, if you would have told me that Purdue was down one point to the number two team in the nation, I would have been kind of shocked, especially Listen, with all Brown the hype Michigan don't has. Quit. No, Brown they don't. Boys don't quit. They 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 are a they're a well coached team typically, uh, and uh, you can tell everybody just from experience like that's the type of guy you want to go to war for. Like he's just one of those individuals. No, yeah, for, absolutely. I mean bunch of blue collar dudes in that locker room just workhorses they you know it's not super talented it's not like i said it's not like alabama where you know five-star recruits are lining up at purdue it's a bunch of you know three sometimes we get we get lucky we get a four-star three two-star guys coming in working their ass off for a couple years to get on the field and it finally paid off it was their first big 10 championship game appearance so to to have that um you know, for some of my friends, I, I would have paid a million dollars to to been able to play in that game. Um, but to see my friends play in it and have that experience, it's it was incredible. All right. Well, before we give too much away from uh, what's grinding your gears a little bit later, uh, let us move on to some other things. Uh, we can keep that that same rage that I know you're feeling and move on to intercepted at the goal line, because certainly this is the worst of the week segment. And that, that's got to make you feel a little upset. So intercepted at the goal line. I'll let you take the lead, fellow. So my my intercepted at the goal line this week uh, came last night during the Monday night football game. Uh, with Colts. And again, I, I'm feeling really down about my take about Jeff Saturday. Um, kneeing at the end of the game down 35, 36 points to the Dallas Cowboys absolutely is a, just a heartless, just gutless mercy kneeling uh, decision. You just, you just gave up like, yeah. okay. Like, I mean, you could, fight till the last whistle at least like have some pride about yourself but you can't have pride about yourself when you're you're down 35 and you know yeah let's just phone it in like it's very aggravating and it will relate to my grinding my gears later too because sure. it all relates it all relates sure i mean it was it was a surrender game but like that fourth quarter was just like the fourth quarter was a was miserable if you're a Cowboys fan, it was incredible. Like one of the, maybe one of the best defensive quarters I've ever seen put together by a defense, just by, just by turnovers alone. Right. But uh, if you're the Colts, you just want to get the fuck out of there. There, there was no, I guess there was no reason to keep trying, but at the same time too, like it's football and you're like, it's like the whole, like never surrender mentality. Like, you're never supposed to just be like, all right, yeah, you got us. We're out of here. We'll kneel with however much time left on the clock. Um, this, and the, the sick part about it was in the first half, this was a game. This could have gone either way. It was it was a close game. And then you just have an absolute goose egg giving up 33 in the final quarter is unheard of. 
This is a dog-friendly podcast. We want to say hey to all the dogs listening out there who might be cocking their head sideways right now. With now, which dog is is that? Is that Mona or is that? Um, that is uh, Dixie. That's Dixie that's, May. That's right. That's right. The most smart. The most smartest dog in the whole wide world. Um, no, but it's, again, there, there's so much that we that we want to actually get to later in the show. So these are just kind of like fillers at the moment. But promise we're going to get to all of this stuff more in depth as we move through here. So uh, my intercepted at the goal line, I think, is pretty freaking hilarious. So um, what, what's not funny about the situation is kind of what led up to it. But you need the context to kind of understand the hilarity of this of the situation. So Kanye West is um, had a manic episode this past week. And was on the Alex Jones podcast, internet show, whatever it might be, uh, and and just being overtly anti-Semitic is probably the best way that I can put it. I mean, this the, he is he, somebody needs to help this man psychologically. Like he needs actual help. That's a different conversation for a different time. Uh, but he has this whole. Uh, manic episode on the Alex Jones show and then leaves and then takes to Twitter because his Twitter has been reinstated by Elon Musk and just starts firing from the hip, just random stuff left and right. And he leaves us before he goes to bed with, I want everybody to know that Chris Paul slept with Kim while I was with her. Good night. Moments later, Chris Paul was announced as unavailable for the Phoenix Suns in, in the game that they played. Uh, but just Chris Paul catching a stray out of <laughs> nowhere. Chris Paul just catching a stray bullet. Be like, whoa. It's like that. Uh, it's the 50 cent clip. And he's like, you're saying fuck T.I. F- fuck someone else. And then he said, fuck 50. What do you what do you say? Fuck me for. I mean, it's it, it was. It's it's just it's just funny how the internet works, right? Like just like the the instantaneous nature of it. Like uh, you, you could talk about it all day long, but like it's like it's like living a, a it's like living Mad Libs, honestly. Like in in any way, shape, or form, whether it's about Kanye, whether it's about just the internet in general. Like any day on Twitter is just living a game of Mad Libs. Like insert person, Kanye West. Insert salacious act slept with wife yeah insert social media platform on twitter right like it's just like you fill in the blanks and it's like yeah i guess this makes sense but i would have never guessed this to be an actual real like situation that happened yeah it's every day i grow i stray farther from humanity and sanity because you just go on twitter you don't know what you're gonna expect like if you if you guessed and you had it on your bingo card that Kanye West goes on Alex Jones's show and supports Nazism. That's insane. Like, well, that might even be on your bingo card as of late, but like, I don't know if in 2008, you told me that that was going to be on my bingo card. I probably would have been like, no, not Kanye. Right. He made graduation. (laughs) All those memes have been killing me, but he made graduation. (laughs) Just rocking your chair. Like, yeah. Why? Having I mean, and this is one of those situations where it's really hard to separate the art from the artist because like, I, I don't know why, because, but just because it is. Um, so somebody took time again, this is on Twitter because Mad Libs, uh, somebody took time to make the all 
Kardashian team. So this is dudes that have been uh, married to or have slept with a Kardashian. The starting lineup is incredible. Uh, with the addition of Chris Paul at point guard, you also have James Harden, Ben Simmons, Blake Griffin, and Tristan Thompson. That's pretty great. Coming off the bench as the sixth man is Devin Booker. And then don't forget about Chris Humphreys, who was married to Kim Kardashian for like six months. Lamar Odom, who was on crack. Uh, <laughs> and then Jordan Clarkson and Rashad McCants. I don't know who that is. Uh, but I mean, like that is a pretty formidable, like 10 man rotation. <laughs> Who was on crack? <laughs> <laughs> that is a that, that team might be better than the Lakers right now. So it, it might be. It might be. And I bet you that team, team would be based out of LA. Yes. It, I mean it would have to be, right? It, I, I would I would say yes. I would say yes. Uh of course it would be. Um that is my intercepted at the goal line is Chris Paul caught astray. We're gonna do NFL talk. Uh, but I forgot my notebook in the other room. And so Tyler is going to keep you entertained with something off the cuff while I go and grab that. Tyler, take the floor. Well, give, him something. Is... give him anything. I'll be right back. Tell him a story about your bunny. <laughs> well, well, while, while Ryan's gone, I could tell you a story about the worst pregame speech I've ever received. We were sitting in the locker room. This is when I was at Western Kentucky University. I think it was 2018. Um, we were in the locker room. We had a really, really bad season. We lost a bunch of games. I think we only won three games total. But we're in the latter half of the season, and we're uh, you know getting ready to go. We're playing Old Dominion. And our head coach comes in, who was, his name was Mike Sanford at the time. And he comes up, and he starts rallying the troops, and he's like, all right, you know, bring it in. We, we say our prayer and we get ready for him to give us a, you know, pregame speech, say a little something. He gets up and he says, guys, all we have to do is go out there and not lose. And we'll win this game. Not only did he say it once <laughs> or twice, three times he repeated it. If we go out there and we don't lose, we'll win this ball game expecting all of us to to get up on our feet and start cheering like going crazy that was by far the worst thing he could have said and it led to one of the most heinous losses in my career as a football player it's actually it was a not top 10 play and you can still find it on youtube watch uh western kentucky versus old dominion in 2018 the end of the game it's it's up there it's who miserable. gave this speech mike sanford Recently fired uh, interim head coach for the Colorado Buffaloes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> that's not good no. at all. Okay. No. All right. Well, thank you for that story, Tyler. Thanks for buying me a little bit of time. And thanks for saving me a little bit of time in the editing room as well, because I just don't, don't want to go back <laughs> and edit it. Don't make me do it. <laughs> uh, all right. But let us jump into the one-point rundown from NFL Week 13. Yes, NFL Week 13. All right, we start Washington at the Giants. If you actively play for a tie, I feel like you should just lose. Ron Rivera in the closing seconds of this game was actually playing for a tie, which, again, should be counted as a loss. 
The Jets at Minnesota. Snickers Zach Wilson makes the Jets an actual playoff team versus hungry Zach Wilson, which is the one that they sat. That's just kind of the comparison I've made in my head, Tyler, is that Zach Wilson himself is hungry Zach Wilson and Mike White is Snickers Zach Wilson. Cleveland at Houston. I legitimately enjoyed watching Deshaun watch and suck it up. It was, it was great. It was fun. Um, I also want to know when the first massage celebration is going to happen after he's been intercepted or sacked it, sack sacked it. Holy shit. I want somebody to act like they're like massaging the football or just the air. I think that that would be uh, fun and a good troll. Tennessee at Philly, AJ Brown went eight catches for 119 yards, two touchdowns. And I still don't feel like that was enough for his revenge game. Like it felt like he wanted to do more and maim the Titans in some sort of way. Uh, Denver at Baltimore. This was this week's meh game of the week. It was a football game, but it wasn't a good one. Jacksonville at Detroit cue the undertaker meme, but instead of undertaker sitting up, it's actually Deandre Swift sitting up and and showing up Uh, Pittsburgh at Atlanta. I don't have any notes on this game. This was like one of those games that happens during the week where you're like that, this game occurred. This was like a real NFL game. So I asked the question, do you think either of these teams could beat Georgia happened in the same stadium? I would say, no Buffalo at new England, uh, Buffalo. Now the number one seed in the AFC. And I legitimately have no notes on this game. Like if you would have told me the bills beat new England, 24, 10 back in, I don't know, August, I'd have been like, yep, that's the score. And that's exactly what happened. Green Bay at Chicago, Aaron Rodgers still owns the bears and the world's shittiest haircut. Some things are just evergreen. The chargers at Las Vegas officially, And with my chest, I tell you, the Chargers are bad. Also, is there a point where we start considering Josh Jacobs for the MVP conversation? He's just 802 yards away from the NFL record for yards in a single season. Kansas City at Cincinnati. I feel like the Bengals really only ever show up for big games. Joe Burrow only ever shows up for the biggest games of the season. And maybe that's what makes him great. Uh, Miami at San Francisco. This is my uh, my best Emperor Palpatine voice. <clears throat> Henceforth, he shall be known as Jimmy IR Spot. Jimmy G, done for the year with a broken foot. Uh, Indianapolis at Dallas. Please stop kicking Matt Ryan. He's already dead. Stop kicking him. <laughs> He's been dead for weeks. Also, did you know that the Colts have fumbled 30 times this year? 30 times? That's a that's a lot of fumbles. Um officially uh we are recording before the Monday night football game. It's New Orleans in Tampa and uh this is just already my 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 one point on that game. Who's ready for a 3 nothing final? Because that's just how that matchup has been going the past couple of years and that is the one point rundown. Yeah. So I think I want to start with the, uh, the lions game lions Jaguars. Yeah. What in a, what a win by the lions. I mean, absolutely dominating them on all, on all aspects of the game. All fronts. It was a teeth kicking. Yes, but that's a good Jaguars team too. And 
the Lions have been good. Like, I mean, the record isn't stellar, but they've hung in nearly every game. Yeah, I think the Lions, where they're at, I talked about them earlier in the season as being a team that like was unrepresentative of their record, right? Like their offense to start the season was incredible and had a lot of people guessing and nobody really could catch up with all of it. Uh, Then everybody did. Now they're back. I just feel like the Lions are a defense away from being like an actual competent team, possibly a quarterback too, right? Because like Jared Goff is like your now solution, but I don't feel like he's your Super Bowl solution. Um, but maybe he is. I don't know. When you look at the fact that they've got Jamison Williams coming back and they've got an incredible production from Amon Ross St. Brown this year, and they've got a stable of running backs this year. I don't know how long Jamal Williams hangs around because he is currently leading the NFL in touchdowns. Um, but you still have DeAndre Swift, even if he does leave. When you look at their skill position players, they're set and they have an all right offensive line, like one that will get you by. Now they don't have they don't have the best offensive line in the league, but they have one that'll get you by. But then you look at their defense and it is completely void of talent. You've got Aiden Hutchinson, and that's it. Jeff Akuda, who they drafted fourth overall a couple of years ago, is a bust. I think you can say that pretty confidently. Like he's he's not gonna get it done. Uh, but I mean, outside of Hutchinson, you have nothing. Yeah, the defense is is it's what kills them every week. And I don't know. It was nice to only see the Jaguars put up 14 points and they, you know, they're pretty good at spreading the ball around. They have a really good running attack and they also uh Trevor Lawrence can air it out too. So, it was good to see. Um My next one that I want to talk about is Eagles Titans. Yeah. AJ Brown, I mean, like you said, revenge game of the century for him, huh? It was. It was. I mean, eight catches for 119 and two touchdowns is a gigantic game and one that you will take any week of the season. Uh, but for whatever reason to me, it just didn't feel like it was enough. Like it felt like there was more in the A.J. Brown tank that he wanted to unleash on Tennessee um, and just didn't get a chance to or maybe whatever. Uh, the, the, the second touchdown, both, actually both touchdowns that he had were slightly hilarious because the one there was nobody around him for 20 to 25 yards. He was wide open because of the double movie. He knocked the cornerback down. And so it was basically a layup touchdown. And then the other one, it was a 50, 50 ball well contested. And it just falls right into his arms as if God was like, you were right in this situation. Here's another touchdown. Yeah. And if, if you're the Titans, you're sitting there watching this unfold before you and you're like, Fuck. You're you're questioning every decision you made this past off season during the draft. Like this is a, this is a playmaker. This guy is. I mean, he was one of your top producers every year, mm-hmm. and you just throw him to the wolves. And you're like, oh well, this guy in the draft is going to be just as good as him. Well, I, well, and yeah, right. Like here, yeah, we're going to save money with the new guy, and then it's never as good as it once was. Uh, I will say Traylon Burks, who is the A.J. Brown replacement that you spoke of, made one of the most tremendous catches I've ever seen. As he was going up the seam, he caught the ball and then got absolutely laid into by a safety that was coming across the middle and somehow 
still caught the ball. Like this was like a knockout blow and still Traylon Burks takes it to the ground for a touchdown, uh, which I think was his first receiving touchdown of his career. Last week, it was the Henry, the Henry fumble recovery in the end zone was his first actual touchdown. And this I think was his first receiving touchdown of his career. Um, So that's, I mean, a hell of a way to get a a touchdown. I wanted to talk about, um, the jets in specific, the depth that I think Mike white, Mike white has given this team in the past couple of weeks. I think he gives you actual hope. It's weird because Mike white's not a, a stud or a blue chip prospect or anything like that, but he also feels like a quarterback. That's just going to come in and handle business. You don't have to worry about him doing too much. You don't have to worry about his ego. He just comes in and does his job. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about his his trajectory since he left college. He was drafted out of college by the Cowboys late, um, you know, was released, got picked up by the Jets. He's been on practice squad the past couple of years, um, and then he just needed his time to shine. And I, I think it goes into, like you said, he just goes out there and produces. And that's always, you know, you can always pair that with the preparation that he does. So he's probably one of the most prepared quarterbacks, you know, in the, in the room. I mean, even more so than Zach Wilson, because he goes out there, he has a good understanding and, you know, he's able to sling the ball over the yard and be competent in his reads and stuff like that. And you, you could see that as the game progresses and you kind of miss that with Zach Wilson, you know, for the first half of the season. Yeah. Uh, the other crazy side of this coin is that the Jets have a ton of talent at their skill positions. Even with Brees Hall out, they still have a ton to get their job done on a week-in, week-out basis. Their wide receiver core is is incredible. They still have a, a very stable, stable of running backs. Uh, now with uh, Zonovan Knight stepping up and being uh, just some some guy who's like, oh, yeah, I'll get 60 yards and a touchdown, no problem. Um, so it's, it, it's, it, it becomes even more curious why Zach Wilson is so bad because Mike White's able to come in and complete passes to the guys that Zach Wilson just simply would not see or hit or throw the ball to. Um, I've enjoyed watching Mike White. I've enjoyed seeing him getting an, another opportunity. Um, and again, I think that he makes them an actual playoff team. I think the Jets were a, a quarterback away, a competent quarterback away from being a playoff team, a, a, a real playoff team. And, and now the way that they ha- hung with Minnesota this week, they took them to the wire. I think the Jets are a real deal team now, especially with the win that they have over Buffalo. Uh, they, they they could even be pressing for uh, uh, AFC East contention. Who knows? Um but the, I think the last thing that I wanted to note before we move forward uh, is the Cleveland game. I yeah. think it must be touchdown. It must be touchdown because um, obviously this was Deshaun Watson's first game back in the NFL since 2019. Uh, he's been dealing with, I shouldn't say he's been dealing with, but he has been uh, working his way through multiple sexual assault allegations uh, by multiple. I mean, 33 um, and somehow he's still playing professional football. Somehow he has a guaranteed contract of 250 plus million dollars. Uh, and he came in 
having not played football in 700 days. And thank God he looked like dog shit. Yeah. It yeah. It, it, to, to me, it would have, it, it would have been so easy for then that guy to turn around in the press conference after the game and be like, see my one game of football that I played completely nullifies the fact that I sexually assaulted possibly 33 people. Yeah. I mean, he definitely got what was coming to him. Um, I mean, I think the bottom line is you can't take three years off and just expect like you to still be this top tier quarterback. And then, I mean, the Browns being willing to pay this much for Deshaun Watson after this long of a hiatus and obviously knowing his, his issues off the field, like it, it really brings into question. Like I, I know it was like an uproar when the Browns signed him, like how could this organization do this? This is so short sighted, but it, everyone is getting what they deserve, right? Your answer was supposed to be Deshaun Watson and he struggled big time against the Texans. And I mean, your organization looks foolish. He looks foolish. So, I mean, I think it's just desserts, you know? Yeah. I I think, um, I think when it comes to Cleveland as the organization, right? If they were the laughing stock for so long, and they were kind of like when they started getting good, everybody was like, oh, Cleveland, cool. Like, they're good finally. This will be fun. They've officially become the, like, die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain team, right? I, I say that as a joke, but, like, truthfully, the ethics and morals and practices of this team have become increasingly in, uh, more and more concerning over the years, right? Like, look in their backfield. Kareem Hunt is on that team. Kareem Hunt. Didn't he kick a woman like physically assaulted somebody? Um, and now I mean, Deshaun Watson, I, I shouldn't single them out as the only team to employ sexual or physical assailants uh, on their roster because everybody does it, but they have uh, some really notable cases on their team, especially when you consider a serial sexual assaulter and Deshaun Watson being on their team. It's just fun that they've sucked this year and that Deshaun Watson sucked against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And it wasn't even like throwing interceptions, though he did that. It was throwing low to open receivers, like, streaking across the middle of the field. It was looking lost in the pocket. Like NFL speed looked brand new to him. It was nice to see him suck. Unfortunately, I don't expect it to last very long, uh, but it's nice to see him have to eat some shit. Agreed. Definitely. So that's what I got for NFL week 13. Did we miss anything? Tyler Witt? Nope. I suppose, I suppose we could bring up like the Jimmy, the Jimmy G situation, right? Like the 49ers have a super bowl caliber skill position group. They have a super bowl caliber defense and they just haven't been able to get their quarterback position right this year. And then even when Jimmy G was figuring things out, now he breaks his foot and it's up to Brock Purdy or the newly released Baker Mayfield to lead them to the playoffs and a possible super bowl. The savior. That might be the most poetic justice of it all. Like imagine Baker Mayfield is the guy to jump into the Kyle Shanahan offense and then magically, boom, they're like, he's like, I get it now. I can play, I can play football. This seems fine. Leads them to a, a Super Bowl. And the, you know, the Browns are left paying a, a fully guaranteed contract to a to a guy like Deshaun Watson while Baker Mayfield, who 
you know, is uh, much maligned in Cleveland, goes on to win a, a Super Bowl. That would be a fun storyline in in football. That would be great, especially after his stint in, with the Panthers. <clears throat> and you you hate to see that happen. It's just a bad organization right now. Yeah, and real quick on on the Baker Mayfield front, the draft pick from Cleveland would have been a fourth round pick had he played something like 70% of the snaps in Cleve are in uh, Carolina this year. The Panthers wanted him gone so bad off their roster just to open up that roster spot that they were willing to cut him and accept a fifth round pick instead of a fourth round pick, which in the NFL jumping up 32 positions in any round of any draft is going to get you a significantly better player. Yeah. So that's what I got. Um, It's time to unleash that rage that I know you have inside you kid. Yes. Well, what's grinding those gears? I know you got the Purdue P on this week. Let's, let's break this down. Listen, alma maters are alma maters, right? Allegiances lie where they will. When you go to a school, be it for a year or two, right? North central for me. Uh, there, there's a lot of emotion there. You want to see your guys win. you still have friends left on the team. They get to go to the big 10 championship. You're there, but something's really eating at you about this. <laughs> the, <laughs> I, I don't, I can't even put it on the, the players because it's not always players faults. True. Um, I mean, you got 18 year olds out there. So, but it was the, the play calling at in the fourth quarter is what really, really wore me down and really chapped my ass. Chap my ass. I, seven over seven minutes left in the fourth quarter down two scores th- at that, at the, at this point. And we decide to run five or six run plays in a row to run out the clock. First off, that is more times that we've run the ball in a row this whole season. I guarantee you, you will not see six consecutive runs in a row. Number two, you are in the big 10 championship and you're, it looks like you're, you're kneeling down and just saying, yeah, it's all right. Michigan's Michigan has this. You're down two scores. You have the ball with seven and a half minutes left. You can you can win the game, or at least take it to overtime. But it seemed like such a shit move to just like roll over and die, like with seven minutes left, and it it broke my heart and it broke my friend's heart sitting there watching, saying, "What the fuck are we doing?" Because it doesn't make sense, especially with a team who consistently passed the ball more than 95% of the teams in the country. So yeah, it's, it was a very frustrating day for me to or end to the game. I should say I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed being with my friends, but I could not stand the fourth quarter play calling, mm-hmm. just rolling over and fucking dying and letting Michigan win. Like have some dignity, have some respect about yourself. And Yeah. It just it made me so mad. As it should, right? Because like you think about it from just a, just a schematic ideology to begin with, right? Like you're there. You're playing the number two team in the country. You are not supposed to win that game. 
why not just ball the fuck out? Why not just play your game? And if something crazy happens, something crazy happens. But you know running the ball five times in a row down two scores with seven minutes left is not going to put you in a position to win the game. So, again, you're right. It's just rolling over, showing belly, talking tail, whatever you want to say about the situation. That That's what it was. That's what it is. Uh, that would upset me to great lengths because there's you can do something about that, right? Like, let's say the other team did the same thing, and they're like, let's just play crazy and see if something happens. And if something happens, there's nothing you can do about that. But from a play-calling perspective – there's always something you can do about it. Five runs in a row down two scores is not what, what's that setting up legitimately from an offensive perspective from a dude who knows a playbook inside and out. What is that setting up down two scores with seven minutes left? It's a field goal. Fuck. <laughs> like, and, the, and realistically that's what it was at the end of the game. They went, they were on four. Uh, yeah. Fourth down, down three, three scores. And our decision was to kick a field goal. You it's four down territory, the whole length of the field at that point. Like you have to go for it. Why do you show tail and kick a field goal? What does that do for you? It does. So let me, let me um, provide the other side of the coin maybe, because I, I, I may have an angle here, right? So with TCU falling in the Big 12 game, this is, this is like a super big brain play here, so just follow me. With TCU losing in the Big 12 championship, USC lost in the Pac-12 championship, right? That automatically to some made it seem like the final two spots in the college football playoff were fluid. They could, they, they could move. TCU could be there. They might not be there, whatever. Michigan then sitting at two, if they were to lose, would also be in that fluid, are they going to make it, are they not going to make it? Typically, when a football program makes the final four, the Big Ten, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the, the college football playoff, there is a certain amount of money that not only goes to that program, but also goes to the Big Ten as a whole. Am I right or wrong on this? You are correct. Right. So it could be. And again, this is this is out there, a little tinfoil hat. It could be that there was something said, something exchanged, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. But it could be that the play calling you saw was to ensure that a Big Ten team made the college football playoff. I, I like this take. I appreciate this take. It makes me feel like a skosh better, but but the, also makes you feel like your alma mater might be taking bribes to ensure that uh, the the Wolverines made it to the the final four. Yeah, it was just it was chaos. That fourth quarter was put me down in the dumps pretty pretty hard. Sure, and I mean, yeah. A lot of a lot of controversy on the Michigan defense as well. Had some players being investigated by police, still playing, and all this all this jazz. So it was very, very frustrating to say the least. 
Yeah. No, I, I would be in the same boat as you. Unfortunately, I'm not because my alma mater, North Central, is currently in the national semifinals for Division Three football. Uh, this Saturday, they're hosting the first ever semifinal in football in school history. So we're, awesome. I think, going to go pack the Ben and uh, see if we can't upset last. Well, it wouldn't even be an upset because we're the number one team in the nation. But uh, see if we can't get some revenge against last year's national championship winner, Mary Harden Baylor out of Texas. They whooped our ass in the national championship game last year. So a little revenge here would be nice. And then if they win, it's on to Annapolis, Maryland, and the Stag Bowl. That's the D3 championship game. So not to rub it in or anything, but uh, my school might be a little better. Uh, (laughs) Mm. Um, no, that's, that's awesome though. That's going to be a great experience, especially it being the first time that they're hosting it. Uh, Naperville, it will be jumping to say the least. And I'm, that's super excited. I, I might, I have some interest to, to go now. Listen, they're the quarterback for North central. And I, I, if you have ESPN plus on Saturday, two o'clock central time, I implore you to watch because I think that this team is better than some D1 programs like the, 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 the North central program is incredible. I, again, I implore you to watch the quarterback alone. Luke Lanon is one of the best athletes I've ever seen in person. So I got to call his freshman year of baseball. There was no football his freshman year. That was that weird uh, 2021 year where some people were playing football and some people weren't. Um, but I got to watch him, his, his freshman year baseball started in left field uh, after an injury and then never left the lineup because he's just that good. He's a gold glove winning left fielder. That means he's the best defensive left fielder in all of D three baseball last year. Uh, I've watched him go first to third in like 10 seconds. It takes him five strides to get from third to home. I remember the first time I watched him come around third base and score, my jaw was on the ground. But also, this kid is the definition of a dual-threat quarterback. Can slice up a a defense with his arm and can also make them worry relentlessly about what he's doing uh, with his legs as well. So I'm I'm excited. I hope we can pull out a W because I'm not going to go sit at Benedetti Worley Stadium freezing my ass off just to see a a loss to some, some, some fucking Texas team. Screw them. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to uh, low-hanging fruit because uh, I got a couple things to talk about here. I'll touch quickly on what mine is because we've kind of uh, droned on about the Deshaun Watson situation already. Uh, But I thought this was hilarious, and it kind of points out um, when you look at insiders, when you look at insiders for any league, if you pay attention to the stuff that they post – this, the, the way that they word their, their tweets and stuff, you can typically tell who their sources are. There are agent-slash-player-driven guys who are really connected with that side of things. There's also the organizational mouthpieces that all their sources come from inside of front offices and stuff. Both are fine. Both are correct. Um, but sometimes you get things like this where Adam Schefter – before the action on Sunday, tweets out, 
Deshaun Watson has made what NFL and NFL PA experts have described as signs of progress during his mandatory treatment program per sources. So essentially, Adam Schefter is reporting on the fact that Deshaun Watson has shown the ability to not sexually assault masseuses or other professional women in the past three months. Somehow, this deserved a round of applause. So congratulations to Sean Watson on not being a piece of shit for three months. Way to go, bud. Unbelievable progress. That's so good. Basically, everything you're taught not to do your whole life, he did it for three months and gets a congratulatory tweet. All he had to do was keep his hands to himself. Who would know that that would ever be so hard? Deshaun um, well, Watson. Everybody, that's what I got. Well, moving on to my low-hanging fruit, it's it's still in the football world, but we're going back to college football. Um, now that my my anger is out, I can sit back and laugh at this because this is kind of hysterical. So Scott Satterfield was the former head coach of the Louisville Louisville football team. Make sure you say it from the back of the throat. It's like Louisville. Um, he had a very mediocre tenure at Louisville. Um, but he was just hired to do the Cincinnati or to be the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats, Mm. which is a pretty high profile job considering, uh, Luke fickle left very suddenly for Wisconsin. Um, though there's a big issue though. Louisville is playing Cincinnati in their bowl game. They're playing at Fenway park. Um, in I December. didn't know this. Yes. They're, and they also have to share a sideline. So you could in theory have Scott Satterfield on the field, just walking back and forth to both benches and he wouldn't be wrong and he wouldn't be wrong. Um, <laughs> the first question that was asked to Scott Satterfield about at his press conferences, will you still coach in the bowl game? And Satterfield responded, which team are you referring to? (laughs) So just a very funny situation to to be a part of. He's technically the coach of both of these teams until he decides not to be. And so, yeah, it's a very, very interesting situation. So take me through this. I don't know if you ever went through this in your college experience, but have you ever had a coach leave, not be fired, but leave for a different opportunity like a head coach? Uh, yes, in 2016, Jeff Brom left Western Kentucky to go to Purdue. And, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so, all right, in that situation, what kind of emotions does a player harbor towards their coach who likely recruited them, brought them up through the system, and now that guy just leaves? And understandably, like, people climb the ladder. It happens in college football all the time. We kind of vilify college football coaches for doing those things. Um, some deserve it. Some I don't think really do. But, like, what are the 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 emotions that get stirred up with that? So I think, well, you got to think when, when this happened for me, it was prior to the transfer portal era. Right. So it, it, now I think it's more of, okay, your coach leaves. Okay, that's another landing spot for you. So if he levels up, then you can level up. It's kind of evens the playing field for players and their coaches. Previously, I would say it was – uh, you you didn't really feel like super like anger towards your coach because you know I was playing at Western Kentucky he was making like maybe under a million a year 
to get a $20 million contract to go to Purdue. Right. Go take your money. Go coach in the Big Ten. Like, that's that's awesome. Like, you're never going to – I mean, how many times does that opportunity come around? Right. Very, very little. And um, I, I would say the where issues come about is when, you know, your your AD is going to replace the coach. So on Western Kentucky's team in 2016 – we had a, a you know a really rock solid staff. Um, we were blowing everyone out. It wasn't even close. It was it was the most disgusting feeling walking out on a field and knowing that you're going to win almost every game. Um, so they wanted to keep that kind of uh, the same staff as together as much as possible. And a lot of the players were really hoping that they would. Our defensive coordinator. Uh, interviewed for the job. He was our interim head coach. We loved him. He was an awesome interim head coach. And they went outside and hired Mike Sanford, completely unknown, had no previous head coaching experience at all. Um, and he essentially burned the program to the ground in, in two years. So, right. <laughs> and then that's when, I think that's when I met you was uh, Sanfield, sorry, Satterfield had just left. Sanford or Sanford. You're right. Sanford had just left. And then they had brought in the new kind of taller guy, Tyson Helton, Tyson Helton. That's right. Who was a part of Brahms staff in 2015. And they okay. won, they won the conference and they uh, went on to win their bowl game. Uh, they were ranked in the top 25 while, while he was there. So that is the kind of hire that the players wanted to see was someone who was in the same system could run the same system because you had players for this system and it worked like, it's not like it, it was just suddenly not going to work. Like right. we had, we had Mike white for another year and we went six and uh, six and seven lost our bowl game. So right. it's just, so it's, it's when you go outside the program and you start bringing in people who want to completely like upend what's going on there. Right. <clears throat> then, and that that's understandable because then you're not only are you playing with like, Oh, like this is the guy that, that brought me in here. Like I, I'm good for his scheme. Like you start toiling with a player's career, right? Like if you don't fit the scheme, if you don't fit the system, you're just not going to play when you chose the school, because there was the promise that if you played hard, worked hard and you know, progress that you would be a starter that you would play. But if you don't fit the scheme, you don't fit the scheme. Yeah. And I think this is a very prevalent actually right now, because if any of you watched the Dion Dion Sanders uh, introductory uh, meeting with his team, when he sure. first sat down and met with them, he told them that, you know, he, that's exactly what he's doing. If you don't fit hit what he's looking for, Go to the transfer portal right now. And he told them all, go to go to the portal and see if you can you can find stuff because he's bringing people with him. And we had that before the transfer portal was even a thing. So it was just, okay, we're going to do a bunch of stuff and we're going to weed out as many guys as we can and then bring in a huge freshman class because we have open scholarships. And that's that's what Sanford did. And it it you mean, they ran off a lot of really talented players. you know, I saw a lot of guys just stop playing football and never play football again. Like it's, it was just an insane time just to the, the level. So the way they did it is what's really awful is just like 
the level of conditioning, surprise drug tests, like at least, you know, you have some warning about, you know, getting drug tested and, you know, it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea, you know, some, but some people do like to smoke weed and that's, that is what it is. But so what we smoke weed, we don't care who sees. Right. As Snoop Dogg said, Jesus. but surprise, you know, surprise drug testing people and then being like, well, you failed your drug test. So, you know, now you have a history of failing drug tests. So that can and be, this is, this is pre-transfer portal is what you're saying. Pre-transfer portal. That's how you get people out of their scholarships. Got it. Because you can't, you oh. can't just flat out cut someone. You can, you know, you can have these issues or you can kind of make issues if you really wanted to. So, you know, you failed a drug test. Oh, well, you failed a drug test. And, you know, they're going to keep testing you over and over and over again because they know you smoke. And if they don't like you, then they're going to keep testing you to see when you fail. And then when you fail again, that's when they're like, okay, this is my scholarship now. I'm going to bring in my guy and you're out. Right. Interesting stuff. I, I guess... I guess to, to some extent, like I knew that, but I didn't ever lock it in. And now that you say it again, it's like, yeah, that sounds familiar. I think I've heard of something like that happening, but like at the same time too, like it's, it, it was a very much dog eat dog world. I think the opportunities for players now is a little bit more even. It's a little bit more smooth playing field, right? For, okay, are well, you going to fuck me? Cool. I'll, I'm going to f- go to the transfer portal and go play somewhere whether you're going from D one back down to D two or three, or whether you're transferring straight across or up or wherever, like the, the playing field is much more even for a player now. Uh, and, and I think in all aspects, and when you talk about NIL, when you talk about the transfer portal and all that, like it's made an impact on the game of college football. Uh, but it's also been a welcomed addition. I'm sure for lots of players, um, but very cool stuff. That was a good low hanging fruit. Straight away from like making fun of the fact that yeah. uh, Satterfield is going to be coaching both sides of a of a sideline, but still very valuable information there. And Tyler, what? That's why you're here, man. That 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 was the good stuff right there. Um, okay, so kind of stemming from that for the uh, the closing segment of the week, hang your banner. You have transfer portal written down. Yes, I do, and it's. Tis the season. It's transfer portal season. Today it was is. really like Our the brother just the fir- exited the transfer portal. Craziness. But mm-hmm. it's it's literally the first day that football players can, you know, start getting into the portal because it's bowl season. So you could be, you know, you could sit out a bowl game. Who cares? Um, you know, and find your new home and start taking visits. And you know, it it just comes down to like the fairness of the player to the players when coaches leave and stuff changes, you know, they get the ability to, to transfer and alter their situation for the better. Like I would not be where I am today without the transfer portal. If I didn't have the opportunity to come play at Purdue, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have had the experience to go play in Canada. I wouldn't have been nearly the player that I am right now. Um, so I, I mean, I owe a lot to the transfer portal. I think it's such a great tool. Um, yes, the statistics are insane um, as far as like how many people are in it. As as of eleven thirty this morning, seven hundred names were added. Wow. So I think there is somewhat of an issue with players who don't understand their value as a player going into the portal just because they're like a second or third string guy and not taking the time to develop at a school versus someone who's like a grad tra- who would technically be a grad transfer player. You've played, 
you know, so many games, you understand your value that you bring to a team and you know, you'll find a home. A lot of kids are just, and just enter the portal and don't find a home. And it's really sad because a lot of them don't end up playing football again, but <laughs> it's I, like, have you seen the movie inside out? Yeah. You know how Bing Bong got lost in like the, the uh, forgotten zone or whatever. And he yeah. got a race. Like that's, that's the reality for people who enter the transfer portal. Some people come out and some people end up like Bing Bong. Yes. But I would like to highlight in my banner, the, the positives of the transfer portal, new beginnings, sure. people, people who you know need a change. They want to become a better player. They want to play at a higher level or maybe they haven't played at the high level and they go down a level. Like it's, it's such a great tool for athletes who understand how to use it and are realistic with themselves. It is, I, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about the transfer portal. Um, and for, for young men who don't, quite have a full grasp on what it is to make a big life situation big big life situational decision like what school you're going to go to people regular people non-athletes just students transfer schools all the time i went to three different schools in the six years it took me to learn how to do this and talk into a microphone like things change circumstances happen and 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 you learn and grow and sometimes you learn you made a mistake and you are at the wrong school and maybe you know like yes i play football but i also want to do this thing in five years when i'm no longer in college or playing football so i need to make sure that i'm at a school that offers the right stuff for me like for you being an engineer and going to purdue for your graduate program was probably a win-win situation because you're playing Big Ten football, and you're also going to a school whose mascot is a goddamn Boilermaker. Yes, no, it, it worked out really well. And I was able to get my master's from a top university in the country. Right. And I and I wouldn't have been able to do that at Western Kentucky as I mean, it's just I I got to play at Ohio State. I got to play at Notre Dame. I got all these great experiences to with with my with new friends, new people. And it was just, it was good. You know, you, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself for six years in the same place. Yeah. Well, and, and hats off to the transfer portal. It's done some things to college football that are a little irreparable, but also it's, it's a very nice tool for um, young men and women who are in just a fluid state of their life where things can happen and change and you need to move here or there or whatever and to have that and not be like concrete or lose a year of eligibility for transferring, I think is a, is a, is a very cool tool to have. And I want to stay in college football for my banner uh, because we have the college football playoffs that are upon us. And I think maybe for the first time in recent memory, we got the correct final four. I agree. I feel like this is the most correct final four teams that we've had maybe ever with this format that we have. Of course, the writers were getting ready to now switch and go to the 12 team format in 2024. We're getting like actual common sense answers to who will fill these four positions. But uh, if you haven't heard, if you live under a rock, our final four teams going into the college football playoffs are Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State. Georgia and Ohio State will play. TCU and Michigan will play. 
And I personally think that we have uh, two really good games on our hand coming up. Yeah, I'm very excited to see. Well, first off, the the monstrous challenge Ohio State has after losing pretty badly to Michigan, now playing a team that I believe is way better than Michigan um, in Georgia. That's going to be a beast of, of a game for them. Um, but I think the, the more entertaining game is going to be Michigan TCU. I think TCU has a very explosive offense and uh, Michigan is a pretty complete team. So it'll be a nice comp, you know, a very competitive game. Um, super excited to see how, what shakes out and who ends up in the championship. Cause honestly it could go either way. Yeah, no, I mean, and uh, I think Max Duggar, is that his last name? Duggan yes. Duggar has taken the world by storm. Uh, just the, the big 12 game alone, he willed his team to overtime. And it was one questionable coaching decision away from them being in a position to win the game against K state. Also K state out of nowhere this year, just absolutely uh, steamrolling some people. I think that they, they finished the year uh, ranked number nine, which uh, for K state is an incredible accomplishment. Um, they were also very good in baseball this past year. I want to say that they were in the college world series for baseball. So um, listen, K state, Kansas, the, the, the state of Kansas right now is, is, uh, excelling in football. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so yes, I think that we have a very good final four. I also think that we have some very intriguing other bowl game matchups as well. Like Utah Penn state in the Rose bowl. Sounds like a hell of a game. USC and Tulane is an interesting game. Uh, Tulane has been very good this year. Uh, USC, though, I think probably just dog walks in that game. Uh, but then Alabama not making the Final Four. Finished his, finishes the year ranked fifth. Uh, I would have screamed from the rooftops that a two-loss Alabama team should not be in the college football playoff. They're not, but they'll play K-State in the Sugar Bowl. And then Tennessee and Clemson will square off in uh, Miami Gardens, Florida, in the Orange Bowl, which could be a big game as well. Yeah, it's a very exciting bowl schedule, I think, with Alabama not in the top top four teams. I think it shakes a lot of things up, and it's very interesting to see all these players at Alabama – uh, reacting differently now you've had for like the first time ever like you've had pl- like notable players from Alabama enter the transfer portal you've had multiple guys say they're skipping the bowl game because for them it doesn't it doesn't matter what's the point of the orange bowl or I'm sorry what's the point of the sugar bowl if it's not for a chance to go to the national uh, national championship game there's no point if you're will Anderson jr there's no point but if you're Jalen Carter who is playing for an opportunity to win a national championship at the D one level you play. It's, it's just different. It's, it's nice to see Alabama because, you know, I feel like sometimes Nick Saban's like is on a high horse uh, and like all his programs. Well, his program is that much is like is elite and they're a great program. Don't get me wrong, but it's just, you know, our players would never, uh, you know, miss a bowl game. And then you now you see like all this stuff happening as a result of them not making the playoff once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you see how fragile life can be. Uh, I will say the one, the one bowl game that conflicts me the most is the citrus bowl taking place in Orlando, LSU and Purdue. Who do I root for? I mean, 
Because you know, okay, so I, maybe for those who don't know, uh, college football was dead to me for many years of my life. And the 2019 uh, Joe Burrow-led LSU team made me excited for college football. Like, I sat down to watch football because of the LSU Tigers. Of course, also having a friend that I could actually watch on live broadcasts, not just like something that was streamed, was very cool too. So with your last stop in college being Purdue and LSU being uh, the team that helped me kind of figure out what the hell college football was, those are like two of my favorite teams. And so who do I cheer for in that game? I have no idea. See, I think for the sake of this podcast, you have to cheer for LSU and then we have to make a, some kind of bet. Okay. So I need to start scheming something up before January 2nd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be something as simple as, okay, well, I'll have to wear like an LSU shirt or you have to wear a Purdue shirt, something like that. But I mean, it has to be but more creative. I love Purdue. That's, I, I, I know. That's Purdue hoodie. It's one of my like frequently worn sweatshirts is my Purdue hoodie. So we'll, we'll have to definitely workshop this, but I, I think it's, it should be in the works. Um, and maybe COVID ridden Jack can come up with something um, <laughs> and, and kind of monitor COVID ridden the- Jack. The, so we have, if you look uh, on the, the YouTube scene, we have our, our Twitter handles here from now on, his will be COVID ridden Jack. <laughs> <laughs> it will no longer be coach coachman. It's COVID ridden Jack. <laughs> so make that note. Cause I know he's been listening to these. So Jack, uh, make that note. You are COVID ridden Jack from here on out. Um, that's what I got. I'm, I got to get to work thinking about what our bet's going to be. Maybe I'll make you host one of these. Maybe I'll make you like the, the, like the focal point. If LSU wins, you are thrust into a leadership position on this podcast for one Uh, week. (laughs) Well, maybe (laughs) forever until LSU, uh, until, uh, Purdue beats LSU. It's Mm -hmm. like, uh, like one of those situations. Anyway, uh, that's the show. Episode 12 comes to an end. Tyler, did we miss anything today? We we did not. Uh, I can't wait to go back and listen to the story that you told everybody uh, <laughs> while I was grabbing my notes. Uh, but thanks so much for tuning in. If you're still here, we appreciate you. Be sure to follow us on the socials. You can do that at Hanging Banners. There's no G at the end of Hanging, just Hanging Banners. Uh, and we'll be back next week with episode 13. Maybe I'll be here. Maybe Tyler will be here. Maybe Jack will be here. Maybe none of us will be here. That's probably the least likely to happen. Uh, but somebody will be here next week to make sure that you get episode 13 of the Hanging Banners podcast. Thanks for hanging out. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for that look in sports, Brian. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll have one final look at weather. Stay tuned.